0: Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening.
1: Today we're going to be continuing in the Gospel of Mark as we look at chapter 6, verses 14 through 29, and if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Hear the word of the Lord. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias's daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give it to you, up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. I'm going to go ahead and p- pray for our lead pastor, Billy Glosson, as he brings us the word this morning. Lord, this is a this is a hard passage, especially considering um, the context that we're in. It's a beautiful day. It's, it's warm and the birds are chirping, but Lord, we're reading such a passage that is heavy and, and filled with grief. And God, um, I just pray that you would work on our hearts today. Help us to hear uh, what you would have to say to us in this difficult in these difficult words, Lord Jesus, in, in the life of John the Baptist and in, in the story of the gospel that comes through it. I pray that you would give Billy wisdom and clarity as he speaks this morning. Open our hearts, soften our hearts to challenge us, where it is necessary, and encourage us where it is necessary as well. I pray that we would hear the gospel ringing through, even in these moments of scripture where it can be hard to see joy and it can be hard to see hope, because we know that through you all things are possible and hope springs eternal. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
0: All right. Well, happy traumaversary. You guys can be seated. Um, happy traumaversary. If you don't remember, this time last year I put out an announcement on Facebook that said hey we're not going to meet and I thought it was going to be like two weeks surprise here we are we're still here well a couple quick things Um, I hope you guys are doing well I hope you're okay Um, sorry Catherine turned off the tar really quick so you guys didn't get to jam to that it's all right we can forgive her It's all good. So 2020, right? What a year. Lots of fun. It feels like it's still going on for a lot of us. It feels like it's still a little bit of a challenge for many of us. One of the things that was interesting about 2020 that was difficult, I think, for a lot of us is that production was halted. So if you remember, there was stuff that you could normally buy that you couldn't buy. I remember at, uh, at wintertime, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy one of those patio heaters to help with community groups. Went online, and what is normally about 120 bucks was about $450. And I was like, nah, I'm good. We can be cold. That's all good. No worries. Well, there was a lot of things like that that suffered because of the production halts. One of the things that came out in 2020 that you may be super excited about or you don't care at all about was there was a new PlayStation and a new Xbox. Some of you are like, yep. I'm excited about it. Some of you have no idea that that even happened. That's totally fine. Here's the thing. These game consoles came out and millions of people around the world wanted them. But again, due to the pandemic, the supply was so low and could not even begin to to meet the demand. In fact, five months now after the initial release of both the Xbox and the PlayStation 5, you can't buy them. Like, it's, it's virtually impossible, right? If you try to, you're going to get in a queue. You're going to wait. You're going to fight people. There's a whole culture around getting these consoles. There's Twitter accounts dedicated to it. There's YouTube channels that are all about how to get your new console. I was looking it up this week, and the resale value of a PlayStation 5 is insane. It's through the roof. People are paying upwards of triple to quadruple the MSRP. I don't want a video game that bad, but people do. In fact, one user commented on a, on a restock post. This is what he said. Just tell me what I have to do. I'll drive anywhere, download anything. I must have a PS5, all caps. Yikes. Now, look, I'm not saying that buying a new gaming console is evil, but if it's causing you to say you'll do anything, maybe you don't need it as bad as you think you do. Today, we come to someone who uttered words, extremely similar to this. King Herod, upon seeing his stepdaughter's seductive dance, said, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. Today, we come to a really unusual story in the gospel of Mark about the death of John the Baptist. It's really odd. It seems like Mark's telling the story, the narrative of Jesus, and then he just pauses and says, okay, we're going to, it's almost like you're watching a movie, and then all of a sudden there's a flashback scene, right? Everyone's speculating on who is this Jesus, what's happening? And Herod's starting to think, and he starts to fade back into a flashback about the demise of John the Baptist. So we look at this demise of the forerunner to Jesus, and there are so many things this story can teach us. Guys, I'm not kidding when I say this. There were three sermons I could have written over this text. It was really hard. I was talking to Hannah this week. I'm like, I could go this way. I could go this way. I could go this way. But the more I looked at the text, the more I sat with it, the more I saw how much this text has to teach us about the human condition and the problems we face as we look at one character in particular, and that's King Herod. King Herod has so much to teach us, and so I want to look at this story, I want to look at King Herod, and I want us to learn from it, to grow from it, and to be challenged. So the first thing we're going to see this morning is the problem that we all face, the problem that King Herod faced, and it's this, it's idolatry, it's idolatry. Now, idolatry isn't something that seems altogether very familiar to us, right? We don't really drive around and see people worshiping statues. That's not something we see today in our day and age. We don't see people worshiping physical idols, statues, monuments, things like that. But the reality is each of us struggles with idols. Let me break it down. So the Apostle John, not John the Baptist, John the disciple, right? John the Apostle writes a letter to a young church. It's called 1 John. And he writes this beautiful letter. It's all about just the, this, how to grow in the character of God, how to grow in Christ's likeness, how to fight sin, all these amazing things. And he lands the plane at the end of the book, and this is what he says. He says, little children, which is an affectionate term. He's not being condescending. He's being gracious and loving like a spiritual father. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. John knew that the constant struggle that we all face would be what takes precedent in our hearts. What is it that takes precedent in your heart? See, we typically think of lives, our lives in two categories, right? We think of our lives as religious and non-religious, right? We, we think, you know, oh, it's a, we think of it, maybe it's like I've got Sunday, I've got these things I do for church, Christianity, my faith, all that kind of stuff, and then we've got non-religious. But that's actually a dangerous way to think. As Christians, we're taught to think differently, right? Psalm 20, verse 7, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. What the psalmist is saying is that there are some who trust in military might. There are some who trust in chariots. There are some who trust in horses and power, all that kind of stuff, but not us. We put our hope. Instead, we put our trust in the Lord. We live Coram Deo. That's our name, right? We live in God's presence before his face. That means all of our lives, right? Everything we do is under his providential care. But sadly, this isn't what we see happening for a lot of folks, right? There are many people who don't trust God. There are many people who don't follow after God. Some even claim that they do follow God, but in reality, other things take precedence in their lives. So how do we understand this? Why is that the case? Well, let's go to Romans 1 to see why. If we go to Romans 1, we're told that we suppress the truth. We suppress it. Verses 24 through 25, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. So what do we learn from that? Well, here's what we learn. The truth of God can be suppressed. You can ignore it, you can deny it, you can suppress it. But the desire for God cannot be. We cannot suppress the desire for something glorious. So what do we do? We look to other things. We look to idols. We exchange it for something else other than the creator. So as we are considering this concept, right, idolatry, let me say this to you. Something will always be glorious in your life. Something will always be glorious in your heart. It's how you were made. Whether you believe in God or not, you will prize something in your heart. You just will. What we will see today is that it can either be God, or it can be horses, or chariots, or some other counterfeit, or replacement, or wish.com God. That's what an idol is, right? It's a replacement God. It's a counterfeit God that offers us a temporary sense of identity, power, security, and pleasure. I'll say that again. An idol is a replacement God that offers us a temporary sense of identity, power, security, and pleasure. And today, we see this perfectly displayed in the character of King Herod. So we understand the problem. It's idolatry. But let's see what happens. And let's see how this idol enslaves King Herod. And in fact, we learn that idols enslave us. Herod is indeed enslaved to his idol. And in fact, the first and predominant idol we see in Herod's life is lust. And it shows up in two places. The first we see in verse 17, for it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So here's the thing, Herod's in a lawless marriage, right? Yes, even King Herod could, could could go against the law and he was in a lawless marriage. Herod was bound captive by lust. And he looked across the dinner table at his brother's wife, he was bored with his current wife and thought, "You know what? I'm going to take her instead." That'd make family reunions really awkward, don't you think? Be a little weird. So we see there's this idol already creeping up, this idol of lust is displayed already, but it gets much worse as the story goes on. Verse 21. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. So here's the scene. Herod's throwing a party, right? This isn't a pizza party. It's not just any party. It's a big deal. This is a strategical moment for Herod to get all of this approval and praise. He has all of the important people here. And he invites all these people in, right? He invites them to come. And the first thing we see here is that he invites his stepdaughter, which let's just kind of take a moment here. His stepdaughter also happens to be his blood-related niece. A lot going on there, okay? There's a lot going on. And she dances for them. Now, I just want to be really clear. This is not a river dance, okay? She's not clogging for them, all right? This is a dance of seduction. And it pleased Herod. And this is what he says. This is his response. Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. Y'all, that is worship. That is worship. That's what we should be saying to the Lord. But Herod is so enticed, he's so consumed, he's so consumed by his lust that he is even desiring his stepdaughter, his niece. Lust is an act of idolatrous worship to which we commit ourselves fully to an empty and incapable God. That's what's happening. That's what's happening in our idolatry. That's what's happening in our lust. You are worshiping a false God. Now, I think many of us would want to ridicule Herod, right? We read this and we're like, That is weird. This dude is a dirtbag. I mean, come on. Your teenage stepdaughter? What is wrong with this guy? But if we remember in John 8, when the woman was caught in adultery, Jesus, looking out at the crowd, said, Let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. So before you pick up the rock to throw at Herod, let me just pose this to you. Friends, today, we are digital Herods. Now, I know we have kids with us, so I'm going to be a little bit more vague here. So let me just say it this way. Adult sites. You guys tracking with me? I think you're following along. Today, adult sites bring in more traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined on a daily basis basis. 35% of all internet downloads, right? Everything that's downloaded across the internet, which is a lot, 35% of it relates to this material. The use of adult content has increased marital infidelity by at least 300%. The most common depiction is a woman in her 20s playing the part of a teenager. It has become a $100 billion a year industry. One site, One, reported in one year, there is 4.6 billion hours of material watched. 4.6 billion hours. That is 500,000 years in one year. That's how much we consume this. Do you hear the echoes? Ask me whatever you wish. Ask me whatever you wish. Marriages are sacrificed at the altar of this God. Families, relationships, careers, all to this false idol of lust. Here's the thing, Corobdeo, this idol and all of our idols enslave us. They capture us. They bind us. Herod is bound to his idols. He's willing to give anything for the momentary satisfaction they bring. So we see first our idols enslave us. But here's what we see next. Idols crush you. Idols crush you. Idols always, always crush us and others when we fail them. Our idols always crush us and others when we fail them. So Herod sees her dance. He's pleased. He offers this amazing thing of, I'll give you whatever you want and listen to her response. Verse 24. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oath, and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. Now this is interesting because Herod is divided, right? He just made this incredible vow And then when she brings the request that she wants the head of John the Baptist, Herod isn't like right away. He's divided. He's split. Right? Even though John challenged Herod, even though John told Herod, hey, you're in sin, you need to repent, Herod still liked John. He still liked to hear from John. He thought what John had to say was interesting, fascinating. So when she asked for John's head, he's sad. He's reluctant to kill John. Now, before you or I start thinking that Herod's noble and I'm a man of my word, I said this, that's not what's happening here. Again, let's remember who's at the party. The important people, the nobles, the military, the commanders, the leading men of Galilee, Herod is controlled by approval. I like John. John's a righteous man, he's holy. But I can't lose the approval of those with esteem. You see, killing John will hurt Herod, but losing approval would crush him. Again, he is mastered by his idol. He must obey. Therefore, John is going to lose his head. Herod is jealous. He's insecure. He's anxious. He needs to be justified in the eyes of what others think. That's what approval does. If Herod lived today, you could say, Herod lived for the likes, right? Because the reality is I think many of us here struggle in the same ways. We want to be liked. We want to be perceived a certain way. Enter social media. We can be controlled by social media. Now, I'm not saying that social media is inherently evil, right? You don't have to start deleting Instagram from your phones. I'm not saying if you use it, it's a sin, But I am saying that we have to see that it it does indeed affect us in crazy ways. Studies show that more time on social media results in more depression. The reason is you start to want to become this idolized version of yourself and you will never measure up. When we go to social media to find identity, it ends up crushing us. Time Magazine put out an article saying that Instagram was, in all caps, the worst. What a lead-in, right? You would think, how's that possible? Have they been on Facebook in 2020, right? Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Instagram. But studies showed that users of Instagram struggled with anxiety, depression, bullying, and FOMO, fear of missing out. So Instagram is problematic. We know Facebook is problematic, and now there's all kinds of new ones popping up. It's interesting, right? Listen to this from Forbes magazine. Part of the unhealthy cycle is that we keep coming back to social media, even though it doesn't make us feel very good. This is probably because of what is known as a forecasting error. Like a drug, we think getting a fix will help, but it actually makes us feel worse which comes down to an error in our ability to predict our own response. One study looked at how people feel after using Facebook and how they think they'll feel going in. Like other studies suggested, the participants in this one almost always felt worse after using it compared to people engaged in other activities. But a follow-up experiment showed that people generally believed that they would feel better after using it, not worse. Which, of course, turns out not to be the case at all and sounds a lot like the pattern in other types of addiction. Here's the thing, most of us know this. Most of us know a lot of time on social media is probably not good for us, but we engage because we want important people to say that we matter. Friends, we are Herod. We are Herod. Look, even if you said, Billy, not me, man. I got a flip phone. I don't have Facebook. Can anyone say among us That they don't know what it's like to live with the fear of rejection? What is amazing to me is the dynamic here of John the Baptist and Herod. Why did John keep coming back? And and why did Herod keep listening? Look, John is a one-trick pony. John didn't come with a different message to Herod. It was the same thing over and over. Repent. You are in sin. Repent. Why does he keep coming to Herod with the same message? because Herod does not have to be an idolater. Coram Deo, there is hope. There is hope in the gospel. Our hope from the freedom of slavery, the crushing reality of idolatry is the gospel. It's Christ and Christ alone. And we see his salvific truth working in two ways, objectively and subjectively. Here's what I mean. Objectively, Jesus dealt with evil at the cross. Jesus takes all the brokenness and baggage at the cross of Calvary and he crucifies it. And upon his resurrection, he says now that all authority is his. Jesus has defeated darkness. This is true whether you believe it or whether you feel it or not. That's the objective reality. But the subjective reality is this, the beauty, the glory of Christ frees our hearts to change. You see, our cold fingers begin to loosen their grip. We begin to loosen our grip to the idol's that enslave us as we look to Jesus. We long for something to satisfy us. We just do. It's how God wired our hearts. We long for something to give us glory, for something to give us hope, and that's why we look to idols. But y'all, that idol needs to be replaced by the real thing. The glory of Jesus is infinitely more satisfying than the false idols that we attach our hearts to. C.S. Lewis says it well that the problem we have is not that we want too much, it's that we want way too little. We have a greater joy, a greater pleasure. Listen, we, we don't just simply dethrone the idols in our hearts, we must replace them with a worthy king. Our idols. Demand everything. Remember Herod's words? I'll give you anything. Our idols demand everything. But Jesus, friends, has given us everything. Idols say, give me all you have. Give me everything. And Jesus says, it's all yours. Ephesians 1 tells us that we have been given every spiritual Blessing, everything. God is not withholding anything from you. When we fail our idols, they crush us, and they crush those around us. They crush everything. Right? Think about our passage. Herod's first wife, crushed. John the Baptist, crushed. And if we keep following, we'll learn that Herod himself eventually will be Crushed. Your idols will crush you. Your idol will crush you. But Jesus, Jesus will not crush us. He doesn't crush us for our failings. No, Jesus, friends, was crushed for us. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed For our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus was crushed for you. Jesus was crushed for you. That is what will set your heart free. Friends, we are so unworthy. And yet at the same time, we are perfectly loved. We are perfectly accepted in Christ. Listen to me. No idol will ever love you like Jesus loves you. No idol can save you like Jesus can. No idol will remain faithful to you when you are faithless. No idol will love you in the midst of your greatest failures. No idol can cleanse you from your guilt, your shame, or sin. No idol will satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. And no idol will suffer and die on your behalf for your joy. No idol will ever be what Jesus is. Here is what I want you to hear today. Normally, I tell you what I want you to hear at the beginning. I've been bringing you to this. Hear this. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Everything in this world will fail you. Cars break down. Houses will erode and mold will grow. Your phone screen will crack. The PS5 will be outdated. Everything fails, but Jesus doesn't. Jesus is better. When you know this, you will be free. This is why scores of men have faced death willingly. This is why so many who have faced brokenness and affliction and suffering and pain can still still sing in glory. This is why the Apostle Paul was shipwrecked out at sea and did not curse God, but instead said, Jesus is better. So let me end by asking you, what are the things in your life that you are tempted to treat as ultimate? What are the things in your life that you are tempted to treat as ultimate? What makes you feel safe? What makes you feel safe? What is it that, tell, that you tell yourself, if this goes right, if I get this or experience this, if I possess this, then all will be well. What is that for you? What are you most afraid of? What are you most afraid of? What keeps you up at night? What causes you anxiety? Friends, those are the things that have become ultimate in our lives. But the good news, quorum Deo, the good news, Jesus is better. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for the hope that we have been given in you. We're grateful, Lord, for the good news of the gospel. We're grateful, Lord, that we have this unbelievable, incredible truth of the gospel. That you love us, that you've pursued us, that you care for us, that you long for us. Father, forgive us for the ways that we have put other things over and above you. We looked at only two, God, of so many idols that exist in the world. How easily our hearts are seduced by lesser things. God, our desires are too weak. (laughs) Would we want what is truly great, what is truly satisfying, what is truly life-giving, and that is life in you. You are better, Lord Jesus. Would you help our hearts, God? Would you make our hearts believe this truth? Would we rest in you, Lord? Will we trust in you? It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, nc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.